because the glossy magazines, the TV shows, the films will tell you uh, what is the life that you are to be aiming for. And you can go on courses and read books to tell you how to be successful in life, how to squeeze the most out of life. I've even discovered that there's a whole career out there called life coaching. Have you come across this? And you can actually uh, pay for some person to be your life coach. And they're there to come alongside you and to help you see why your life is cruddy and hopeless and useless. And help you come together with a plan. What, what is your life goals? What is it you really want to achieve? And uh, uh, you can uh, just keep paying and they will keep giving you advice about how you can achieve these life goals and dreams in life. Uh, I, I listened to, I read some uh, websites this week and uh, they offer to help you in all sorts of ways. For instance, they, they want to help you have a fulfilling career. And it said this, are you happy in your job? 60% of us hate our job, and yet we spend a third of our lives doing it. How do you want to spend your life? Well, the life coach will fix this for you. Uh, the next question, do you have wonderful friends with whom you grow and have fun? Or do you find yourself on your own, surrounded by people who drag you down into their rut? The life coach will sort you out. Are you in a right relationship? Does it need work to get it where you want it? Or do you need to find the strength to start afresh, says the website. Have you achieved work-life balance? The life coach will help you out. Are you in stress-free control with enough resources to meet your needs and your wishes? And your wishes, what a thought. Are you at peace with yourself and your world, uh, with time to be still, to reflect and find contentment? Or do you rail against the world and everyone in it? Are you heading for a long, healthy life? Or are there things you'd like to change, like more exercise, less weight, less stress, and better diets? The life coach, for a suitable fee, will fix it for you. Isn't that wonderful? I read a, a local uh, life coach in Edinburgh, and he says this on his website. I believe that everyone has within them all the resources that they need to achieve their dreams in life. It's just a matter of enabling people to become aware of these resources and help them channel them in the right direction. As a coach, it's my mission in life to help people who want to make significant changes in their life to live their dreams. You can live your dreams. Just find the right life coach. Well, it's, it's, it's very alluring, isn't it? Um, the life coach is offering, basically, to lead you into a stress-free, fulfilling, soul-satisfying life, all through your own resources and your own achievements. So what does God have to say about that? Well, please open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. And... Um, you please turn to page 668 in the Church Bibles. Page 668 in the Church Bibles. We're starting today a sort of an eight-week series through the book of Ecclesiastes. Because what we have here is a God-given life coach. 
He's a life coach unlike anyone that you'll pay money for. But we need to listen to what he has to say. Let's just read the first two verses of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Wow. Well, there's something to put on your life coaching website. Meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Uh, This is the message of the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in a sense, what he wants to say to us is this. Face facts. Face facts. Life under the sun is meaningless. Now that word meaningless could be translated in lots of ways. It could be meaningless, it could be vanity, it could be mean transience, vapor. I mean this is this is the message of Ecclesiastes. Alright, here we are. Did you see it? Can you see it now? It's gone. Yeah, it is bad. <laughs> it's industrial strength. It's for the, uh, the men's restroom in the offices. I don't know why they went for industrial, but that wasn't in the notes. Okay. Yeah, you see it and it's gone. That, that's what life is. It, it's transient. It's, it's fragile. It's vain. You try and grab hold of it and it, it's gone. You've got nothing to put your hands on. That's what the teacher wants to say to us. Life is that. You see, when we try to grab hold of meaning out of the things in life, we will find out it is futile. And as we go through this book, it's going to be a rather brutal experience. Because he's going to, the teacher's going to shove our faces against the window of life and say, well, look, look at that career that you're pursuing. Meaningless. Look at your attempt to, to find a nice house and to, and to make nice gardens with nice lawns. Meaningless. Look at your pursuit for education to gain knowledge and wisdom. Meaningless. Look at your attempt to pursue pleasure, uh, to find joy in relationships and, and to pursue meaning through through sex, futile, empty. Every attempt that we will have to make meaning out of life under this sun will be as futile as a mist or a breath that is temporarily there and then it is gone. That is the troubling message of the teacher. I was reading an article with Andrew Marr, the the BBC journalist and uh, writer and presenter, and one of the questions they asked him was, 
what is your um, biggest disappointment? And his answer was this, success. Well, that was very telling. Success. The more we grab for stuff and try and find meaning there, we find it is empty. Now, it's such a negative message. It's such an uncomfortable message. We should ask the question, well, why listen to this teacher? Uh, why spend eight weeks considering his message? Well, like all modern books, at the back of the book, there is an endorsement of why we should listen to his message. So let's turn to the back of Ecclesiastes. You know, at the end of the back of books, you get these endorsements from people say why the book is worth reading, why the author is so amazing, and why you should buy this book. Well, that's exactly what we've got at the back of Ecclesiastes. So turn to page 677, and let's read the endorsement. Well, he ends the book as he starts it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise... You can move the PowerPoint on as well, by the way. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. First reason we should pay attention to the teacher is that he was a wise teacher. Verse 9, he was wise. And uh, this is not some crackpot that nobody paid attention to. Our opening verse told us that this was the son of David, king uh, in Jerusalem. So uh, was this Solomon? Or was it, in fact, a king that followed Solomon that is actually critiquing the life of Solomon? We're not quite sure, but we do know that he was wise and he regularly taught the people. He was not a crackpot. People listened to him. Uh, this, this teacher is the best sort of teacher that you can get. Um, he, let's see what it says here. Um, he pondered. Here's a man who thought deeply. He weighed the facts. Um, he was judicious. He searched out. We, we've got a teacher who's a research professor. He's not just sort of sitting back, quoting everybody else's work. He, he researched things himself. He's a research professor. Uh, it says here that uh, he found, he searched out to find just the right words. He, 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 um, he was a skillful teacher. He would think about what was the, the best way of putting things over. Uh, he was, it says, set in order many problems. He was a systematician. Very good at sorting. So this really, if, if this was written of any professor at any university or any teacher of any school, this would be the brilliant endorsement that you could, you could get, wouldn't it? To have this sort of teacher, to have this sort of professor. But the reason we should listen to him is more than just that. Because verse 11 says that this teacher was inspired by God. Look at verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads, their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. In a number of places uh, in the Bible, God is described as the shepherd. 
In Psalm 80 and verse 1, it says this, Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Or think about Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. And what the um, editor of this book, who compiles the teaching of the teacher, what he wants us to know before we head into this series, is that what we have here is not just the teachings of a wise teacher, but these are inspired words by this teacher. In the American elections, when they are running for president, or any office actually, uh, if you ever get a chance to see the adverts, either at the beginning or at the end of this thing where they tell you how brilliant they are and how useless the other person is, the, 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 the candidate stands up there and says, my name is Barack Obama and I approve this message, or Mitt Romney or whoever. Well, actually, what the, 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 the editor of the book of Ecclesiastes is saying is better than that. He's not just saying that God approves these words. He's saying that they are God-given words. Now, that's a challenging thought for us because Ecclesiastes is a very uncomfortable book. It kind of pokes us where it hurts. It's got a point. And, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to make us think disturbing thoughts. But we need to remember these are words given by the one shepherd. Some of you are coughing because of that spray, and I do apologize. We, we, we learn why it's so sharp in verse 11. Look back at it. The words of the wise are like goads. Now, we're not familiar with goads these days, but a goad was a sort of good old-fashioned farming implement, basically a, a sharp stick that you'd gently prod into some cattle to get them moving in the direction that you wanted. And these are God-given words with a point to provoke us, to stir us to action, to get us moving. And the other point of why uh, this is a bit painful is it's described not only as a sort of a a goad, a sharp point, but it's like a a peg, like a tent peg. You know what tent pegs are there for? They're there to stop that lovely tent that you put up from flying off. They they, they ground the tent. They, They secure the tent to the ground. Well, that's exactly why God has given us these words. He's given these particular words to provoke us and to ground us into truth and into reality. And that is why we must listen to the message of the teacher, which is this. I won't spray again because you'll cough. (coughs) Yes. That life under the sun, an attempt to grab hold of meaning out of the stuff of this life, is meaningless and futile. So, uh, should we just curl up and die? Is this the point? Uh, is, is this just a nihilistic message where, well, let's just give up, it's no point trying? That's not what he's going to tell us, is it? Because look at what it says in verses 12 to 14. What he wants to tell us is we need to face facts and fear God. Look at verse 12. Be warned, my son of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. What a great text for students at Freshers' Week. Of the making of many books, 
There is no end. And much study wearies the body. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. What we need to understand is that we are all worshippers. God made us to be creatures who were designed to worship. We are surrounded by worship. Uh, it can be in so many different forms, can't it? Did you see that goal yesterday? Can you believe it? What an awesome player he is in the best team in the world. Do you ever watch Match of the Day? Watching three or four grown men worship. Oh, he's amazing. Oh, dribble, dribble, dribble with amazement. They're worshipping guys who kick a pigskin or whatever they make it out of leather. I don't know. Uh, not pigs. Probably, um, probably cows. It doesn't matter. They, 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 and, and they're worshipping. Or maybe worship, people worshipping... Uh, a particular singer or music group, or maybe it's a particular clothes designer, or maybe it is worship of, of that person that you've met this week, and they're so lovely, they're so beautiful. I love them. I haven't taught them, but I love them. And we'll talk and talk about the things that we love. We are creatures made to worship. What the Bible has to say is that we have distorted hearts. We are twisted worshippers. If we are trying to construct meaning and significance out of the stuff that we find under the sun, it is another form of twisted worship. And this is the warning of Ecclesiastes to uh, take that thing in this life and to make it the thing that you worship and you adore and that you live for. It will be an utterly wasted life if you live in that way. And so here's the message of the teacher. Face facts and fear God. The only person who is worthy of your worship and your awe is the God who made you. Uh, there are many places within this whole book where it mentions the importance of fearing God or standing in awe of God. These are terms of worship, of praise. And if you want to know what life is about, what's the point of your life? Here it is. You were made to worship God. And every idol that you substitute in the place of God will disappoint, frustrate, leave you at the end just going, what was that? It's not worthy 
of the worship and adoration of your life. And so here's the end of the matter. When all is said and done, what's the whole point of life? It is to be worshipping God. And the teacher wants you to know, well, what does that worship look like? Well, meaningful worship looks like this. Keeping his commandments. A life of of worship is ultimately evidenced by a, a life of someone who is listening to God's word and obeying it. I love singing songs. I love, I, love some of the, I love the great old hymns. I love some of the modern stuff that we've sung today. I, just, I delight in that. But you know what? That's not really where the action is in worship. The action is day by day living in obedience to God's words. And that's what life is about and look at the reason why you should do this. Well, the writer of the, uh, 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 the, of the compiler of this book says in verse 14, this is the motivation, because we're accountable to God. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. You see, we cannot go through life taking all of God's good gifts uh, and never thanking him and taking these very things and turning them to the things that we worship and live for and make sacrifices for, we can't go about that and think that there are no consequences to that. Now, the Bible says we will face the God who made us. He will bring every action, every deed into judgment. The way I live with my body, what I do with this body, with my thinking with my words, with my hands, with my feet, what I do with this life matters to God and he will hold me into account. And he sees everything. Everything that is out in the open and every, everything that is hidden, whether it's good or bad. And the New Testament um, agrees with this and it says, that, it says this in 2 Corinthians 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. When Paul was preaching to the uh, smart boffins in Athens, he said this to them, The the fact that uh, Jesus is raised from the dead is evidence that you know who is the judge who will judge you. It is Jesus Christ. And we will all stand before his judgment seat and have to give account of what we've done in these bodies. Jesus said this, uh, Men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Think about your words even in the last week. We'll be judged by those words, either acquitted or condemned. So the question this morning is this. Will you face facts and fear God? Will you face facts? Well, the answer could be no. No, I'm not. I'm not going to fear God. I'm not going to do what he says. And 
what I want to say to you today is I want to warn you from God's word that uh, your life will be ultimately futile and meaningless if you're trying to grab hold of it uh, out of stuff in this life. The writer to, uh, the, the teacher wants to save you the bother of, of going down all these different routes and finding out at the end of it that there, there is no pots of gold at the end of the rainbow. It is empty. It is an illusion. And he wants to save you from that. In 2009, the Prince's Trust uh, polled 2,000 young people between uh, the ages of 16 and 25, and they, um, they gave what they described as this disturbing uh, result that one in ten believed life was not worth living or was meaningless. The teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes would say that nine out of ten are living delusional lives if they think they can construct meaning and purpose apart from fearing God. Well, we could say, well, no, actually... I am going to face facts. I am going to fear God. But what hope for me is if, is if even my words will bring me condemnation. What, what hope have I there? Well, th- this is where I want to share with you this morning the good news. I think the part of Ecclesiastes, its tool to us, is it helps see what life is really like. And it pushes us forward to see the hope and reality that's held out in Jesus Christ. Because the shepherd kept speaking through history. And the shepherd took on human flesh and revealed himself to be the good shepherd who gave up his life for the sheep. And I want to just give you two simple verses today, well-known verses. Uh, First one, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, if we face facts and realize that we are condemned, well, here's some good news for us. God so loved this world that he sent his only son that if we, if we put our trust in him, he who died in our place upon that cross and was raised again, then we will not perish. We will not come under uh, punishment. Well, listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 5. I'll tell you the truth. Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. This is the fabulous good news for those who realize that, that God is there and that we are guilty that he has sent the good shepherd, his son, and Jesus tells us this, whoever hears his words and believes the father who sent him has eternal life. He won't be condemned by this judgment. He has crossed from death to life. You see, if you're not a Christian here today, then I would say verse 14 of, of, of chapter uh, 12 in Ecclesiastes, you should take very seriously. God will bring everything into judgment. 
If you are someone here who has actually put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, I would say you do not need to fear judgment. That's not what motivates the Christian life. We are so aware of the grace of God. We are so thankful. That's what motivates us to fear, revere, or love this, this God. I want to say to you, you need to face facts if you're not a Christian. That life is meaningless apart from fearing God. And I want to say that one of the great privileges and joys of knowing Jesus Christ, of turning to him for forgiveness, of receiving his gift of eternal life, is that we know that this life is not ultimately meaningless. That there is great point. There is great purpose. There is great hope in Christ. And I want to say to you, if you are a first-year student and you've come here, and maybe you've come from a Christian home and you've heard this all your life, and I want to say this to you. Is it yours? Have you trusted Christ? Have you faced facts that this world is empty unless you fear God? Have you turned to Christ and laid hold of him? That's such an important decision to make right now at the start of university. Why waste time? Why bring grief and pain into your life by wasting years? If you've not trusted Christ, do it today. Acknowledge your rebellion and your sin. It's not enough that your parents have done that. You've got to do that. It's all going to be on offer for you to choose to chase all these false pursuits. Are you going to choose today to face facts, fear God, and trust the Lord Jesus Christ? Do that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that your word cuts through all the pride and hubris of this world. We want to thank you for the truthfulness and the honesty of the teacher. Please drive your word into our lives that it may provoke us to trust Christ. Please secure us to the truth that is in Christ. That we may know how to live life in this world that can seem so meaningless. That we can live it for your praise and glory. We ask this, just giving you thanks so much for the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.